Cookie Jackson breaks it open, 20, 15, 10, Jackson to the 5, Cookie Jackson, touchdown Washington! Millen go pass for it, blitz coming, he gets rid of it, throwing long, Patterson wide open, it's up, he's got it at the 30, Mike Patterson's going all the way! Touchdown Washington! Broadcasting live on a dirty, rainy night in Maltby, it's the Hardcore Husky Podcast. This episode is brought to you by HardcoreHusky.com, folks who are well-known in Cyberland and not that dumb. I'm Derek Johnson, and my co-host calling in from an undisclosed location this evening, it's the D.B. Cooper of College Football, Baseman. How you doing, man? I'm good. Hey, man, it's like, you know what? We're in 2020. It's been 49 years, and they still haven't caught up to me yet, so life, life is good. <laughs> Uh, we got good feedback on the first podcast. We're doing a second one here, and throughout the course of the uh, uh, off season here, we're going to be uh, uh, endeavoring to have uh, the podcast broadcast on a regular basis. Uh, the topic we were going to talk about tonight relates to the uh, modern uh, history of uh, uh, games between Washington and Michigan, since uh, Michigan is uh, the uh, lid lifter, as Mike Damone would say, uh, to start off the 2020 season. And so there's been a handful of really interesting uh, and, and dynamic games between the Huskies and the Wolverines uh, stretching back to the 1978 Rose Bowl. So we thought, uh, the baseman and I thought we would just kind of kick back this evening and talk about our own personal recollections of each of those games. And um, and I guess for, for starters, you know, we look back at the 1978 Rose Bowl and I remember talking to Mike Lude one time and, and he was talking about uh, it was his second year on the job and it was after that win. Uh, he received, a, a, this is his words, that he received a lot of credit for, you know, being able to fundraise and the Husky Fever campaign and stuff. He said, um, he goes, I did a lot of things right and I did a lot of good things, but that the victory over Michigan and the Rose Bowl was, uh, I couldn't have done it without that. And it was such a huge, huge moment. I think I was seven years old at that time. I think you were about that same age as well, base man. And just what, what memories do you have well, of that time? That was a seminal moment for me because that was my that was my first. Uh, that's when I fell in love with with Washington. I we were I remember we were big underdogs. My uh, my grandparents went down. I remember we opened up a big lead uh, in the first half. John Jane with a tap. His team knocking. He rolls. He is in. Touchdown. Warren He's beautiful on a rollout. You see him make the fake to Joe Steele. He's been their big ground gainer all year long at 6 zip. All right, Steve Robbins kick is up, and it is good. Cole Washington has struck first. This will be a 30-yard attempt. It is up. The kick is good. Good. Washington extends its lead. A two-touchdown underdog, a husky team from Seattle, is now out on front. 10 to nothing. Washington has driven 61 yards. They have completely dominated the second quarter. Warren Moon. And he's over. Warren Moon has scored his second touchdown. He's done it all, Kurt. He and, he and Spider Games have just put uh, a little bit of shock in the mission. And this is a red-hot Washington team. Two touchdown underdog. They're pouring it on Michigan. Timeout with a score. Washington 17 and Michigan nothing. Michigan's really going to have to go at it now. Three and a half to play in the first half. They have been stunned and almost bewildered here in this second period. We'll pull back in the game. Moon goes deep. There's Gaines. Touchdown. The kick is good out. Washington 24. 
And what was so interesting about that game, and, and you know, you look back historically, and the press guide says that the Huskies had a ten and two record, but they were actually seven and four going into that game. But there was a couple of um, uh, forfeits that uh, they had lost to Mississippi State in the opener. I remember. And then uh, in late October, early November, they lost to UCLA, and that was later also overturned because the Bruins cheated. Um, but, but going into that Rose Bowl, the Huskies seven and four, Michigan's ten and one, and I don't remember where they were ranked, but it was top five. And um, they uh, it was one of those things where they Michigan felt obviously like you know what are we doing playing these guys? You say that that was the game that that really lit your fire in terms of loving the Huskies. I was already all the way in. Uh, even from the previous two seasons, um, and uh, that I, I suppose the the big memory for me is on the Huskies. You mentioned how they they were hanging on at the end, and Michigan made a couple of dramatic drives down the field in the closing minutes, and that amazing interception by Michael Jackson, the Husky linebacker. Michigan fans are roaring on their feet. Jim Beckler knows his team must get a first down. They're third and two. sitting next to my dad in our in our downstairs living room and i just remember uh he him jumping up so high and I, just me looking up at him i literally was worried he was going to hit his head on the ceiling um uh, and that's just how uh fired up everything was there so that was really i think the first my first real solid memory of uh of husky football and um uh, my grandparents came back, and just the uh, the whole attitude of the program. Everybody was elated, and felt like things were going well. And um, yeah, if you remember that season, I think people were uh, were questioning Don James. Um, you know, I think had Don James uh, been hired, say last year, um, I think the board probably would have been ready to eighty six him about halfway through the season, but. Anyway, I think that Rose Bowl game was really the uh again the the watershed moment for the program and and uh you know there was kind of a hockey stick curve up from there. Well, we saw them again in what had been an 81. Right, and that was uh the talk in that game and I remember it was uh, Bo Schembecker, the um the Michigan coach, he was something like 2 and 7 or 2 and 8 in Rose Bowls or or bowl games and there was uh, uh, a lot of talk about Bo can't win the big one and everything and you know it's interesting you said that two and seven in uh in bowl games that kind of sound that's kind of a familiar refrain the last couple of years with uh with peterman michigan won twenty three to six and butch Wolfolk was the m v p and ran wild on our defense well and then we uh we moved forward then to uh the uh, the eighty three game and that's like one of the epic games of you know all time in regards to a husky uh, stadium and um uh, uh, Michigan was ahead 24 to 10. And as I wrote on the boards a few weeks ago, I, I remember that uh, Husky quarterback Steve Puller late in the third quarter was blindsided on a, on a blitz and he fumbled. 
and Michigan either recovered for a touchdown or recovered inside the 10, something like that. And then they led 24 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Uh, and then that's then when uh, Steve Puller went on to complete like 15 passes in a row, I think it was. And uh, and the Huskies scored uh, two touchdowns and then th- went for the two-point conversion and got it. Uh, and they won that game 25 to 24. 1984, so at the big house. Now, did you say a moment ago that you were there? No, I wasn't. But no, I, I watched the game on TV and I can I can still remember. In fact, we, uh, you know, the the intro, the, there's Rondo's call of that of Millen to Patterson, and that just, uh, I just remember, I mean, just electricity went up, surged through my whole body. Millen got a pass for it. Blitz coming. He gets rid of it, throwing long. Patterson wide open. It's up. He's got it at the 30. Mark Patterson's going all the way. Touchdown, Washington. And a few years ago, um, Hugh told me a a story also about, um, he said after the game, um, the Huskies are celebrating and the Michigan players and coaches are stunned and everything. And the uh, Huskies win 20 to 11, uh, you know, in Ann Arbor and, uh, Bo Schembechler is walking off the field and Hugh Millen had grown up as a huge Michigan fan. And he said, Bo Schembechler is walking off the field and Hugh runs over to him and puts out his hand and shakes his hand and says, you know, uh, uh Hey coach, just want to let you know, I grew up a huge Michigan fan. I always wanted to play for Michigan. And, and uh and and he said Bo Shem, as I recall, he said Bo Schembecker just looked at him like, What the hell are you saying to me, kid? or something like that, and then uh walked off the field. Um that that game I remember too, the Huskies were ahead twenty to three with less than a minute to go, and then they gave up a touchdown at the very uh you know, in the closing seconds in a two point conversion. And uh this goes to show you how spoiled I was as a Husky fan at that point, because I got upset over that. So I wanted I liked to. I like the idea of beating them twenty to three. You know, the week before, Michigan had beat they beat Miami and they went they were they were number two in the polls. And so that was a big that was a big win. And then uh, you know, the wheels kind of fell off yes. after that for Michigan. You know, they if you recall, they uh they played BYU in the holiday bowl and uh that's, that's when the Mormons stole our natty. But yeah, of course we get we dumped that game at USC, yep. but no, that was a that was a huge win. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at 103,000 people in the big house that day. So that's got to be probably that, and the Nebraska game are probably, in my mind, are probably the big, the two big road wins. And, um, you know, from from my memory, and the whammy in Miami. Oh yeah, the whammy in Miami. You know, for, for me, w- without getting too far off topic, the whammy in Miami wasn't didn't have as much meaning. I you know, I granted we upset their winning their home winning streak, which was you know a long time. But you know, of course, that was the year we were ineligible for a bowl, so it just it didn't have much luster. But um, one of the bigger wins on the road for us. You bet. And then the the one thing too that was really uh, discouraging, if that's the way to put it, in regards to the um, to that win in the in the Orange Bowl with the uh, Whammy in Miami, um, that was the same day that Cordell Stewart threw the Hail Mary in, with Colorado, and uh, that's what ended up on Sports uh, Illustrated the next the following week um, in terms of the cover. They don't know was it uh, was it Washington upending Miami's winning streak? So. Um, that that bothered me a little bit back then, but uh, that was back when I cared about if the Huskies were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Now it's just like whatever. But just like I think Race Bannon was talking a few years ago about how uh, game day was such a big deal, and oh my God, did they talk about us and that kind of thing? And uh, now it's just like uh, who cares? <laughs> you know. So 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with, you know, with, with sports center, you know, you'll, you'll get, you'll get a little pub, but it's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have the, uh, it doesn't have the allure that it did, you know, 30, 40 years ago. No, or 20 years ago. Um, so anyways, and, and so there's four more uh, Washington, uh, Michigan games to, uh, just kind of touch base on, uh, the, the following, uh, the following year, or excuse me, the following one we want to talk about was the 92 Rose Bowl. And of course that was when the Huskies won 34 to 14 and won the, uh, the national championship. And that was the second Rose Bowl that I ever attended. And one of the, one of the great memories of my life, um, it was just everything about that trip was just magnificent. Even just from hanging out with Husky fans in the uh, at the uh, Continental Breakfast and stuff, and um, and hearing the the you know the news that the Huskies had won had been you know elected as the number one and national champs, um, and the the memories from that game you know uh, uh, Steve Etman dominating and um, and uh, constantly hitting Elvis Gerback, the uh, Michigan quarterback, and then of course the late Jaime Fields with that monstrous hit in the fourth quarter. Yes. Um, yeah, and, I, and uh, what memories do you have from that? Well, I, I remember, uh, I remember Napoleon almost broke the opening kickoff. Um, he, yes. uh, his feet were too fast. He was, he was one step from breaking that. Um, but I remember, you know, the first, it was probably the first quarter was a, uh, was a real slug fest. Uh, Eric Anderson, I remember him. I mean, he was, he was, uh, yes. he was a monster in the middle and he, he blew up our plays. Was it uh, was it Billy Joe Hobart that he scored the first touchdown on a? Uh, mm-hmm. Was it was it Billy and little keeper? Yeah, on a keeper, and then uh, I was. Um, let's see, I was closer to the north. Would have been the north end zone, and uh, I I remember uh, Bruner tiptoeing the the back of the end zone for uh, for that catch. Yes. And then uh I remember Shane Paukoa. Um they they had him as a spy on Desmond Howard and we we double teamed him and completely shut him down. He came in there like a cocky son of a bitch and and uh we completely took him out of the game. And we doubled him up and then yeah, just one catch. Uh, yep. And then uh of course I remember Mario Bailey, the uh, the big touchdown pass and the uh and the Heisman pose. I heard later that uh James came over and, you know, at first he thought, uh oh, I'm in trouble for doing that. And, you know, James gave him high five, you know, fist bump. <laughs> oh, that was, uh, that was obviously big. And I never heard yeah. that. Um, yeah. Steve Etman was actually, he was in the hospital a couple of days before with, with an IV. There was a, yes. there was a bad flu going around. Uh, I actually got that flu while I was down there as well. But, um, you know, there was some question whether he was going to play in the game. And, um, you know, of course he played and ended up being the first, first pick in the draft. And there was a chant um, when the game ended, one more year. Um, the, the, yeah, the fan base was hoping he would stick around. But, you know, it, it, it was time for him to go. But you play in the bowl game. Yeah, you know, and it's like I just had a thought, too. And it's like um... – you know, back then it was just like, you know, it was time for Entman to go, but damn, if he could have come back for the next year, you know, what, what could have the team done? Um, but now you kind of transpose that against what things are like in the current day uh, today in 2020. 
Entman, as a sophomore, was the Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year. He probably would have been uh, gone after his sophomore year these days. Yeah, no, you're. I mean, you you might be right. Yeah, he probably would have if he if he played in uh, modern times. But yeah, and then uh, what was it? The it was, it was the following year we faced him again, and we were talking earlier the kind of the wheels the wheels started falling off that that tough loss down at Arizona, and then. That was kind of a you know that was kind of a shitty little Rose Bowl right because the way that season was shaping up early on was we're probably we were looking to repeat um, that that home game against Nebraska that was a that was a huge win and there was a lot of momentum and it was just a weird vibe you could you could just kind of feel that um, I don't know about you but there was that was probably you know right before I guess the week before Billy Joe. Um, the news came out and then uh you know the the story started appearing about you know the uh, the mercenary program i think bill walsh had brought that up but you know there was a, there was a sense almost that this was you know the team was invincible and this was going to go on forever that uh you know we were going to win another natty and you know this was going to be a dynasty and we were a blue blood and then um you know, but it all led up to the Rose Bowl, and it just was—it was just really anticlimactic. And I don't—I don't know what it was like for you, but it was—it um, just didn't have the luster that uh, you know the obviously the year before, because you know they were they were playing for you know the opportunity at a at a natty, which um, you know they they uh, split. And I mean, let's let's face it: if if um, Washington had been on the East Coast, I think the AP vote was really tight. I think we lost by I don't know ten votes or whatever because the, the you know of course the East Coast voters all, um, you know they they bolstered uh, my Miami spot and that but the uh, you know in the uh, in the coaches poll the CNN coaches poll I mean it was it was a landslide for Washington, but even the, you know the year before because it had been we were talking about it the the night the eighty one game was the last time we or the well I guess it would have been the eighty two game against Iowa but. You know, it, it had been eight years. So even though we uh, we lost that heartbreaker to UCLA in '90, and um, there was still a, a real sense of optimism, and it was just great to be back at the Rose Bowl again. But you know, fast forward a couple of years, um, just that the Rose Bowl against Michigan, just it just you know, it just didn't. It was just kind of a you know, eh. I I, I mean, I, I don't know how you felt about it. Well, no, I remember I was at all three of those Rose Bowls, the 91, 92, and 93. And I remember specifically with the 93 game, um, looking around and, and being in a little bit of awe that I saw some empty seats because the previous two years had been completely packed. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember from two years previous, that Iowa game, that Iowa Rose Bowl, just seeing Iowa fans everywhere, but seeing Husky fans everywhere. Um, yep. That both teams traveled really well. That. That second, the third Rose Bowl in a row, and that second Michigan one, it was there was just kind of a lackluster thing. I remember when, again, to reference Dave Hoffman, but when he and I were talking at length about this while we were writing that book, um, and he he didn't feel he didn't see it that way at all, and he looked at it as a tremendous honor, and he was really excited. But I was just saying, from my standpoint as a, a fan, and from what I saw from other fans, it certainly. It was almost kind of getting maybe a little bit rote, even like oh, three years in a row or something. I don't know, but um, the other memory I have is from that game where um, 
my dad and I were seated with, uh, I think it was my sister and, uh, and then one of my dad's fraternity brothers. Um, and I remember it was, that was right when Wheatley broke an 88 yard touchdown run. And, uh, and my, <laughs> my dad's fraternity brother was complaining really loudly about, uh, what's, what's wrong with the Huskies? Look how slow that guy is. Why can't we catch him? And, uh, and Wheatley was like the state of Michigan, uh, prep, you know, 100 meter champion, if I remember right. So, um, yeah. that I, I remember uh, rolling my eyes at that and I don't, I don't think I said anything at that at the time. Maybe I did, but years later when I interviewed Darius Turner, the fullback for the Huskies, and he said that him and Brunel, uh, Mark Brunel came off the field that day, just really, really pissed off. Because they felt like that um, the offensive coordinator, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but he was the son-in-law of Don James. But they were upset with the game that he called, and they Jeff Woodruff. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Jeff Woodruff. Um, and and so Darius Turner said they were very upset about that, um, and felt like that that had been a, a key reason why they had lost that game. Um, and so I and I remember talking to Mark Burnell then a couple years after that. And if I recall correctly, I think he said he didn't remember that specifically, but Mark also might have just been gracious there. I'm not sure, but um, but maybe not. But um, but anyways, uh, but, you know, the Huskies did score 31 points that day, so it wasn't like they lost 38 to 7 or something like that. But there's two more uh, Washington-Michigan games to look back on. Uh, this next one was quite memorable in its own way, um, and that was the 2001 game, uh, which happened to be three days before 9-11. Yeah. Um, and that was the game where the Huskies were trailing with Rick Neuheisel as the head coach. And there was uh, some magic in the air that day. Uh, there was the uh, Mari Lowe blocked field goal, which I think if Michigan converted that field goal, uh, they would have been up by more than two scores, I think it was. Um, Mari Lowe blocks the field goal. Rock Alexander scoops it up and races down the sideline to score the touchdown. And then on the next possession, Anthony Von Tour had the pick six. and. Uh, that was just an amazing day. That was a huge win. And uh, the home field advantage played a, a big part in that. And that was a nice win. And then uh, well, 9-11 came. What a horrible day that was. Um, and I told this story once before a few years ago on the boards. But um, I was seated with my late sister at that uh, 2001 Michigan game. And we were on the, uh, we were on the south side, lower end. And um, when uh, when the field goal got blocked and Rock Alexander picked it up and raced like 80 yards or whatever for the touchdown and stuff. And I didn't even realize at the time uh, until a few minutes later, but I uh, my sister and I uh, uh, grabbed each other and hugged each other and stuff. And then I inadvertently headbutted her. <laughs> and so she the so a minute later, she's like holding her forehead. She goes, DJ, I think you headbutted me or whatever. And then she ended up having a little bit of a welt on her forehead. <laughs> And I had no memory of that occurring at all. I, um, so, but that's that's how uh, uh, fanatical I was in those days. But, um, but uh, yeah, and then and then like you said, three days later it was nine eleven, and uh, every, a lot of things changed. So, um, and that was also just kind of the I hate to compare the 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 change in trajectory for Husky football to nine eleven, but just in terms of the um, of the what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, the coincidence or how they were both around the same period of time, but that's when we, we really began our trending downward. I mean, we can transition into the, into the next year. 
So 2002, and I remember specifically that KJR had something like a, a 30, 30 hours in a row of uh, pregame radio, you know, tailgating. Um, and uh, and again, the person that I was back then, I remember in the middle of the night, and I've always been a night owl anyways, but the middle of the night uh, prior to that game, uh, I was up till, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. listening to the, the KJR thing going on and on and being so excited. But um, like you said a second ago, there was also kind of a weird cloud that had formed around the program and just, a uh, you know, things didn't feel quite right. And uh, the Huskies had the uh, Michigan missed a field goal, I believe, at the very, very end of the game. And it looked like the Huskies were going to hang on to win, but the Huskies had 12 men on the field. And so Michigan got five yards and another crack at it, and they made it this time, and it cost us the game. For me, the Michigan game was just kind of the side of of sign of um, Lambos. Guys were out of there; they were starting to get in, you know, to more of you know, the new Heisel recruits, and it was kind of, is this really the right coach going forward? I, I don't know. I don't know if you had any of those thoughts at that point, but I think that's when I started having some doubts. the The Oregon State game was uh, from the previous season, and the Huskies gave up. 48 points and it was something like 48 to 20 or something i can't remember but or maybe even 48 to 14 or something but it's like we just got blown out by the oregon state beavers what is going on here you know and there was this uh that was kind of a you know uh, a feeling of what's going on and then and then of course uh, not long after that was the 65 to 7 loss at miami where it's like okay we are not a premier program all of a sudden here anymore um I think in 2002, and I don't necessarily remember having this thought for the Michigan game, but quickly, you know, soon after that, was that I'd always taken pride in Washington having a tough running game. And when, you know, the Huskies were averaging, I think, like 2.1 yards a carry through much of that season, and they'd hand off the ball to Rich Alexis, and he'd just run up into a brick wall and fall down. And we didn't have a Tuiasa Sopo orchestrating things back there with the threat of the option or something. And I know that Cody Pickett ran it a little bit, but it, there was it wasn't the same swagger. And um, it, it, the whole thing was uh, you, you just feel a malaise starting to take over the program. Longtime Husky fans know, uh, you know, after the, the Gilby one and ten, and then Willingham and zero and twelve, and everything that took place there. But but that was the beginning of the end of the dynasty there. Yep. No, it was. So let's. Uh... We had a precipitous fall from there, um, right, actually rather epic. But uh, moving on to better things, I hope. Um, so with our, our opener, we get Michigan at home. Uh, we, uh, we talked on the last, last pod that I see that I think we're going to win that game. I really do. I think we'll, uh, we'll come out and um, I, think we'll, uh, I think we win it by two scores. I, don't, I won't say two touchdowns, but I, I see that as a 10-point win. Um, yeah. I, we, you know, we get it at home. I think our defense is um, – I think our defense is going to be really good next year. I think we'll be ready right out of the gate. There's, uh, you know, all the young guys have experience. Um, the defensive line will be there. You know, we've – Eddie Ulifascio is, is – um, um, I'm really excited about him. I liked what he did. In fact, um, you know, I would say that's probably the one of our better, better looking linebackers we've had really since um, you know Azim was healthy. Um, obviously, you know BBK, but I'm, I'm as far as a thumper and a guy that can uh, really play that mic position. I'm I'm excited about him. I'm 
got some of the younger guys that uh, are there and and um, our our defensive linemen and well, Ryan Bowman comes back. You know, he's been he's been really solid and and uh, Liatu Latu and our all of our defensive backs are a year are a year older and they've got that experience and um so I'm 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 pretty optimistic that we're going to we're going to do well. The the offense is obviously a concern, but um I I think uh I think just that game at home, I think uh I think that we're going to win that game. Well, your theory of an optimism there is predicated on the uh notion that uh, the Huskies starting quarterback's not going to shit his pants. So Yeah, it is. That's <laughs> And that's, that's obviously a big question mark, but I'm, uh, you know, again, I, we, we talked about on the last pod, the, the Donovan hire. And, uh, I, I guess the, um, that hire was so out of left field that I, I think there's, there's gotta be something there. And the way we used our personnel and we, we haven't been using the, our weapons properly. Um, I think we've got a, we've got a really talented group of receivers. The offensive line, you know, we have to replace. We have to replace two tackles, but I have a pretty good idea of what the depth is there. And so I think, um, you know, I, I like what I saw in the uh, in the bowl game, especially from Victor Kern. I think Victor Kern is uh, is going to be a nice tackle for us. I think um, I, I know what they'd like to see. I think Mateo Mele is going to slide out to left tackle, and you know, he was a tight end in high school and. He did a he did a really nice job at center. Um, Miles Morale, I think if he's ready to play and stays uh, stays healthy, we'll see him. And then, you know, we got we got Waddy and and uh, Jackson Kirkland coming back. There's some thought that maybe Jackson might move to uh, to tackle. Um, I really like him, um, but you know, it's obviously we're going to have to replace you know two really solid tackles, but. I think we'll do enough, and I, again, I think that's good. that's a ten point win. So, baseman is dooging. I, I'm dooging, but you know, again, the uh, <laughs> this is this is this is not a championship team um, because you know we we don't have a quarterback. Why sell yourself short? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because because I make because your, I'm a twelve and zero prediction right now. Yeah, be, no, because I'm a Husky fan, I have to sell myself short. You know. <laughs> So all all I'm hoping for is you know regardless if it's you know the Garbers or Sermon or Morris or uh, whoever. Yeah, you're you're hoping for a good clean game and nobody gets hurt and just don't turn the ball over. That's all yeah, I'm hoping no for inj- in that opener. So yeah, <laughs> no injuries, and we never boo the kids. I guess to conclude our show here, we'll look to the the message boards at Hardcore Husky, and uh, we I posted a little thing um, early this morning in regards to. Uh, Asking for people who have questions. Uh, Sway, uh, posting from the res, and he wants to know, now that Hondo is gone, who is the most annoying poster on Horde Car Husky? Mm. What do you think? There's so many of them. I'll give a shout-out to H. Husky. Uh, he would be one. <laughs> yeah. The most annoying poster. Uh, Mike Damone kills me. He's he's so transparent. You know, he did. No one cares. He doesn't care, but yet he'll uh, he'll he'll post in the same thread like three or four times. You know, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say Damone. Well, you know, his his whole I was right about Eason thing. You know, by about the 458th time he posted a reminder that he was right about the Eason thing, I was like, all right, all right. But uh, 
One of one of Sway's other questions also was, can UW football recover if Jimmy Lake flames out, or are we in a decades long purgatory? Um, Jimmy or bust? I do think it's Jimmy or bust because he's obviously uh, I don't see unless some weird scandal rips through the program, he's going to be here four or five years regardless of whether he does a great job or not. Um, and if it turns into a Mike Bellotti situation where he's going eight and four every year, that'll be good enough because that's what. You know, our administration has shown that they they're not, you know, the LSU coach goes nine and three. He's in trouble. <laughs> so, you know, until the Pac-12 network gets sorted out, it's going to be um, it's going to be tough to attract new coaches. It's going to be tough to retain good coaches unless they really have that. Um, they've got those West Coast ties. I think, um, you know, a couple of people have speculated if Jimmy wins, does he jump to the NFL? But I mean, look at Mel Tucker. That 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 one just blows me away. Um, yeah, a five a five and seven season, you know, first time head coach, and um, you know that he parlays that into a a six year thirty million dollar contract. I mean, that's that, that's amazing. And you know that that salary would put him at the top of the Pac twelve, and for a guy that went five and seven. But you know, again, we, the uh, the money that's coming in off the television contract is is so far below what the uh, what the SEC and the Big and the Big Ten and and the Big Twelve have that um, you know it's going to be tough to um, again retain coaches or you know if if you were to let's just say you were you were disappointed with Jimmy and and Jimmy um, he fails um, and you have to end up buying him out and then you got to go get another coach. Um, you know, I, I think you're, you're going back to that, you know, who is the next coordinator? Um, you know, did you end up with a Steve Sarkeesian? Um, you know, I, I think you're looking at, you know, that type of pool. Um, cause you know, the idea that you're going to hire an SEC coach or, you know, really even an SEC, uh, defensive coordinator, like a, like a Brent Venables or somebody like that, that you think can come in and really turn around your program. That, that's going to be tough to do until this. Um, till we can get Larry Scott out of there and, and get a uh, get a real television contract. Well, and it's worthy doing a show on this in the future in regards to the feeling of the Pac-12. It seems like with each successive year, with Larry Scott leading the way, that we are sliding more and more, sinking more and more into irrelevancy. And and I feel like if 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 I'm on the east coast I don't see much difference right now between the Pac-12 and the Big West like whatever Clay Helton down at SC you have uh you have that big sexual harassment scandal down there I mean they're they're into that at least 300 million dollars so um you know upper upper campus is is uh loath you know to bring in to to approve somebody like Urban Meyer um you know Chip Kelly's mailed it in down at UCLA Kevin Sumlin and Herm, Ab- Head- Herm Edwards, um, you know, I mean, just you know, Jonathan Smith, first time coach, but might be a good coach. But he, let's face it, he's not going to win at Oregon State. So if if he's really good, he's going to have to go somewhere else. And um, Cristobal, I think at some point, you know, if if he uh, if Oregon does well again this year, I, I think Cristobal is going to be a a um, a guy that's in demand and you know if the sec comes calling he's probably going to have they're going to probably show him 35 40 million dollars 
seven million dollars a year is that something that uh phil knight's going to be you know willing to do he certainly got the money but I, again i think i think cristobal uh, if, if the right job comes along he'll be out of there um you got a new coach over at washington state obviously we have we have jimmy here so you know the the pac-12 has some real question marks um around it and uh you know again getting in looking at our situation um i think it's it's jimmy or bust i'm um you know I, i'm cautiously optimistic you know he's he's certainly proven himself on on defense and um he he's got the right attitude um you know i i don't know who else i don't know who else you hire and and again i'm i'm um uh, i'm not one that's complacent and and willing to sit back but um you know, i i just don't know who else you you bring in and and uh you know if he fails um i think the program's in trouble well i mean i i don't agree with you to the extent like the way you're talking there almost has the same tone of you know 10 12 years ago when people were saying well if you're going to get rid of willingham who you know who's going to come in and coach this program nobody wants to come here and this kind of thing um I, there's no reason why we can't be a uh, that we we certainly have the resources to be as powerful as we want to be and i think it's just a matter of how much are we willing to commit to it um and it, i'm not i'm not even close to putting tyrone willingham and, and jimmy in this in in the same sentence and, and oh uh, i don't even mean that no um I, I was just having a flashback when you were talking that way it was almost kind of like well who's going to come coach here and then i had so many arguments back in the day with people about um well, this isn't some third-rate program that can only attract a Joe Avizano to come coach here or whatever. No, um, no, but, but 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 look, but look, let's look at it this way. So I guess maybe we should say what is what is failure? What 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 would you consider? Um, what would you consider? I guess reason reasonable expectation for for uh, for for Jimmy and and the program going forward in in terms of wins. Well, you listen to uh, you know the Dukes, and and I remember like um, after that, um, me and and some friends were driving back from Tacoma the night of the uh, Vegas Bowl, and listening to the radio there and hearing uh, Damon Heward uh, in tears, uh, heaping praise on Chris Peterson for you know succeeding so massively in every dem demonstrable way at Washington and everything, and what a great place he left the program. All right. Well, if the program's left at a great place, and then Jimmy Lake goes six and six or seven and five next year, um, you know something's wrong, really wrong there. That would feel like a tremendous failure to me. Um, I think yes. nine and three. You know, there's going to be at least one or two games where we just have a horrible game where we probably should have won and we lose. And um, you know, you have that with almost any coach, but. Um, but that's going to be the case, but nine and three, I'd be like, okay, you know, and anything better than that, of course, would be a thrill. Um, but you know, eight and four, seven and five, I start to look at that as failure. We're starting a freshman quarterback and I don't see a Trevor Lawrence in this bunch. I don't see somebody that's really exciting. And I think something else with, you know, a topic for uh, a future pod that, uh, we're going to talk about is just, um, a, a dual threat quarterback and can you win? Can you contend on a national stage without a dual threat quarterback? And I think there's a strong argument that says no. You're going to have three freshmen, um, you know, two red shirt freshmen, but um, you know, one guy's taken what you know, ten, fifteen meaningless snaps. You have another guy that hasn't taken a snap, who's you know, six foot one, and 
All of them have fairly limited mobility. Um, I'm optimistic with Garbers, but again, I think, as I said on the last uh, pod, Garbers is really going to have to separate himself from these from these two guys because, again, if you elevate him, you're going to lose one of those guys. Not that I'm concerned about losing him, but I think you you put yourself in a real dangerous position with only uh, with only two scholarship quarterbacks. And Garbers, if if he's anything like his brother, maybe he's got some um, he's got some mobility. But you got three guys without any experience, and I think limited to uh, if you want to even be optimistic, close to average mobility. And I just don't know that that you can expect to win with with a freshman quarterback. When I say win, I'm talking about getting to ten wins. I'm not talking about having a winning record with his defense and the and the weapons. Um, I'm I'm very optimistic about our receivers. I think we have a competent group of running backs. I don't see an all Pac-12 contender um, out of the group of running backs. Um, but again, I think you have I think you have a nice some nice pieces there. So you know that's really the question mark. So I think a lot's going to be on the defense. It's going to be all on the defense, basically. You might even look at the 1984 season as a uh, kind of um, uh, something to draw a comparison to if the defense is going to be as good as we hope it'll be. So because um, the offense was largely limited that year. So, I'll, Hey, I, I, I will take that. You know, if, if this is a 1984 type team, I, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, that, you know, that, that team got first place votes um, for the Natty. So, you know, yes. <laughs> I think we would all be tickled to death if we ended up in the championship game. That, that's a damn good season. I'll take that. And then uh, finally, uh, a question from Spoonie Love. Who would you bring back for one final concert? And we were given uh, 12 deceased singers. And uh, did you make a selection on that? Because I'm probably leaning towards either John Lennon or Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have to say Jimi Hendrix. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jim Morrison guy. I would, I would have loved to have seen Morrison. but um, He's not even on the list. Well, yeah, but he's on my list. But I'd have to go with Jimmy. <laughs> And the shout-out of the week goes to Pitchfork51 just to maybe get him to shut up for a little bit because he's always complaining about not getting free pubs. So there you go. Hopefully he'll donate this August now. Um, is there anybody you want to give any shout-outs to or any any comments in regards to the boards? I want to sh- give a shout-out to Baseman. Oh, good poster. Solid post. Yeah. Looking forward to talking about some of these other topics that we were we were starting to chop up there at the end of the program. Um, and, you know, I think the future of the Pac-12 is something worthy of discussion. Good speaking with you, man, and we'll talk real soon. That's a wrap. 20 seconds to go. It is a huge win for Washington.